You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Gary Moller has been on the show before, and my comments about my stroke led him to wanting a more in-depth discussion on strokes and how to prevent them and how to fix the damage. He's the expert. I know only too well, though, what it all entails, so this is going to be very educational, especially for me. He joins me now. Gary Moller, welcome back to The Crunch. Now, um, you made the suggestion after my last interview that we uh, have a chat about uh, stroke prevention and recovery, and I thought that was a fantastic idea to get you back on the show about that because you know a lot about it um, from a technical and medical perspective, and I know a lot about it from personal experience. So, yeah, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. And uh, it is a fascinating subject, and it's of increasing importance, uh, not just because we have an aging population, uh, but we have this um, so-called vaccine, uh, which is uh, undoubtedly causing a epidemic of stroke and similar health issues. So it's very timely, uh, very important that we do cover this. Yeah, and you know, when I had my stroke, I was forty nine at the time, three days before mm-hmm. my fiftieth birthday. And uh, the first thing I did, um, you know, after I spent two days on my back um, trying to stay alive, mm. uh, was to start looking into how do you fix this, because I wasn't getting any answers from anybody, and those were the answers I really wanted. And you know, I went to the Stroke Foundation website, and all it just made me despondent. It was it was kind of like they were telling me you're going to have a lifetime as a cripple, and I wasn't prepared to accept that. So I started doing my own research, which led me on a, a fascinating journey. But uh, you know, we just touched on that in my in my last interview with you, and um, you know, I, I think your idea, your suggestion to cover this in more depth and talk about some other techniques and things things that I experienced mm. might be really helpful to some of our listeners. And, you know, particularly Mike from Foxton, who uh, after that last interview uh, shared with us his experience of a stroke. So let's just get into this. There's lots to cover. Well, as a, a little background first, um, I'm, mm. I'm not a medical person, uh, but I do have uh, training in uh, through the Otago Medical School in rehabilitation and yep. another postgraduate qualification in sports medicine. And uh, it was, in fact, in uh, 1976 that I first started working full-time in Dunedin Hospital uh, in the area of stroke rehabilitation. That's in the um, the, the physical um, recovery um, exercise and so on, which we'll touch on shortly. That uh, culminated in my receiving a scholarship to go to uh, Sweden to study Sweden sports medicine and rehabilitation programs uh, by way of um, a small grant from the Federation of Sports Medicine and a letter of introduction which opened um, many doors. In fact, it opened every door for me while I was over there. And it absolutely blew my mind and also confirmed to me the 
importance of uh, uh, physical rehabilitation for people who have suffered stroke. Now, one of the points about stroke is that back in the 1970s, we didn't have these um, amazing clot-busting drugs and and other medications or uh, methods of uh, suctioning out uh, a blood clot, um, thus uh, rapidly restoring Mm. circulation. So back in those days, when somebody suffered a stroke, it, uh, oh gosh, it was devastating. Yeah, I know all about uh, that. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, incredibly devastating. Whereas nowadays, a remarkable and very pleasing number of people do have what appears to be almost uh, full recovery. But back in those days, um, the damage was massive compared to what we typically get today. Now, However, I wasn't, I wasn't able to have those drugs, right? Because they couldn't tell. Well, yeah, they couldn't tell a, when I had the stroke. So, you know, it, yeah. it could have happened half an hour before I woke up. It could have happened hours before I woke up. So I wasn't yes. given any of those drugs. My recovery from the stroke was sheer will and determination and, <laughs> you know, physical. Yeah activity and you know the care of two brilliant physiotherapists yes yes so you've done incredibly well cam mm. and congratulations well, Good it's, on you. It, it's still improving you know that's the thing i was told by the neurosurgeon uh, in the hospital that i would never use my right arm again mm. and i said never never sounds like a long time he said uh, yeah it means never and he said that I might get some small improvements for about three months, and then that would be about it. Well, my um, right arm and hand has never stopped improving. It's just continued on and on and on. And I put that down to the fact that I, you know, I didn't wait for the state to fix me. You know, just to give you an example, you know, you you studied uh, occupational therapy and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. It took nine weeks for an occupational therapist to visit nine weeks. I'd already been to physio every day for nine weeks, seven days a week. By the time the occupational therapist came around and gave me all these forms that was going to teach me how to deal with my life in a limited way, I'd already passed all of the all of the milestones that they were expecting to see at three months. And that's when I just said to them, look, you go and help somebody else. I'll, I'll look after myself. And I think that was the last time I saw the occupational therapist. Um, so, you know, if you, and this is the thing that I caution people, Gary, I really do. If you are expecting the state to send somebody to help you after a stroke, you are sorely mistaken and you are just letting yourself become a cripple. And it really is up to you. It's not up to anybody else to do that. And because what people don't realize there's no help for stroke victims. There's no ACC. The only way you get ACC for the stroke is if it happened on a, on a on a as a result and can be directly attributed to an accident or a medical misadventure. Otherwise, you're on your own, and uh, it's a glaring hole that is in the ACC system. You know, they they give out support for all sorts of injuries, but not for stroke. People with stroke victims are often like that for life because they've had no help. You've got to help yourself. Well, just on just on that, uh, Cam. Just to get it out of the way, mm-hmm. if yeah. uh, if a person has any kind of heart condition and is uh, not cautioned 
about the risks of suffering a blood clot, which could lead to a stroke. Mm. And they have the uh, mRNA jab for COVID. Yeah. And then consequently suffer a stroke. They can claim accident compensation. They'll probably have to fight for it, though. They'll have to fight for it, and um, I'm in the process of just writing an article about how to file a claim for such injuries uh, with ACC. Um, and uh, uh, the reason I'm in, I'm in Wellington is because I, uh, when I finished that study tour of Sweden, I was then uh, recruited by ACC to set up their injury prevention and rehabilitation programs for sport and recreation injuries. Yeah. Um, so I had that founding job, which was absolutely amazing. So I do have some familiarity with ACC. Uh, unfortunately, ACC is no longer rehabilitation oriented. It is file closure oriented. Yeah. Um, but that aside, if you weren't given the right cautions about the risks of taking that vaccine and you suffer an injury, then you are eligible for ACC. But bear in mind that it is a bit of a tedious process because ACC will dispute your claim every step of the way unless it is really obvious. And it's unlikely that your doctor will support you because it is the poison chalice for their career mm. to suggest that uh, there may be Safe a connection with the vaccine. Yes, yeah. if, if they indicate even the slightest doubt or promote the slightest hint of vaccine hesitancy, their careers as a doctor may be over. I mean, so you have to fight for your thing, yeah. own. Exactly, that's exactly what I was saying. You have to do it yourself. And don't yep. wait for you to get approval from ACC. If you have the means, and I yes. was lucky, right? I had the means to be able to fund it myself. I had private insurance and, you know, I, I'd suffered, the neurosurgeon signed a document, said I'd suffered catastrophic loss of a limb. So, you know, I had a payout from my private insurance and I also had income protection insurance. I plowed all of that into my recovery 100% didn't spend it on anything else other than two physiotherapists and getting moving as soon as I could because you'll know from your background in occupational therapy and I'll say it in simple terms the more you move the more you can move yes um, uh, rehabilitation not occupational therapy however I worked alongside occupational therapists um, as part of a team Now, one of the things that has happened, Cam, uh, and I go right back to the 1970s, and in fact, I can go right back to 1972. Think of stroke as being cardiovascular. It's a cardiovascular um, accident. And uh, I first began uh, working with people with heart disease, cardiovascular disease in 1972. So it's it's a long period of time. So there's a lot of experience there. And one of the things that has actually really dismayed me is that the physical rehabilitation for stroke is today, it's an embarrassment compared to what was provided in the hospitals in the 1970s. 
there have been a number of reasons. One of them is the improvements in medical procedures, which I'm not an expert in, but mm. uh, the clot-busting drugs and surgery. Those have, been, have certainly changed things. But what it's allowed the health system to do is to cut back on the physical rehabilitation services like the mat work, um, the yeah. you know the physio, physio and the occupational yeah. therapies, the hydrotherapy, all of the hydrotherapy pools and all of the uh, hospitals have, as far as I know, the whole lot have been closed now. And so that that has been lost. That's so we've lost all of those. I mean, that's just well, what dreadful. It, yeah. Well, what it means some um, is that yeah, it's it doesn't really matter for the majority of stroke patients, but there's that ten percent who, uh, and you can put yourself in that category of that ten percent who suffer a devastating injury, mm. and they are the ones who who really do need every resource thrown at them, and over a long period of time. See, it's interesting you call it a cardiovascular illness. Because that may be the cause of it, but but the actual effect of it is a brain injury. Yes. And in, and in my case, it was in the front cortex, left-hand side, two centimeters across. That's huge. That's large. Mm. Like, like mm. that, it literally, part of my brain died. Mm. And that's what I learned when I started researching, how do I fix this? And... The two physiotherapists were really great. They said, look, Cam, it's going to require thousands and thousands of repetitions of very simple tasks and little tricks as well, you know, like using mirrors and stuff like that to trick your hand into thinking it's working and all of that to train the brain because that's what people forget. Like I've had, I can't remember the number of people over the last five years saying, oh, is it like a heart attack? Well, it's nothing like a heart attack, right? Mm. It's a brain injury. It's a, it's a trauma to your brain. Part of your brain, it's like someone hit you with a hammer. And um, getting that through to people has been really difficult. And, you know, um, mm. I, I talking with one physiotherapist, she said she never dealt with a stroke patient before and, and refused to, you know, point blank when asked to, to treat me. And it was my lawyer that said, no, 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 you need to treat them. And this is and you can learn this and this will be great. And da 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 da. And we went on from there. But Pilates and all of those things that were associated with that helped me get strength in the rest of my body, which helped the the arm build up. But yeah, you know, I think hmm. it, it's really important. It is a brain injury. For the first two years, I had to have a, a rest every afternoon, two or three hours, just exhausted doing simple things. <laughs> yes. Know? So, um, yes, alongside uh, stroke patients, and uh, typically there were three causes that uh, I'm not, a, as I'm saying, I'm not a medical expert, but yeah. a blood yeah. clot, which may form elsewhere, which finds its way into the brain and causes a blockage, or else yep. a burst blood vessel, which may occur from, say, high blood pressure, yep. um, or a tumour. Yeah, pressing on uh, and constricting blood flow. So th there are those. And then there is pretty much indistinguishable people who get a whack to the head. So young men who uh, get punched or fall off their motorbikes, um, yep. uh, that sort of thing. And basically the, the therapy is very similar, if not identical. Yeah. So in the end, the brain doesn't really uh, care how the injury happened. 
but it is that disruption to the brain and uh, depending on what part of the brain, the degree of disability. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's yeah, the brain's amazing in how it can repair itself. And I guess that was what what I learned mm. very quickly. What are the things that are going to help repair the brain and that injury that the stroke has caused? Yeah. So let's so, go into that a little bit. So they well, well, the first thing is that if you or somebody suspects they are suffering uh, any kind of stroke, don't mess around. Time is of the essence, and the first thing to do is to call an ambulance. Don't get in a car and go down to A&E, okay? Otherwise, you might end up in the queue. The best thing to do is call an ambulance and basically bypass those queues. Don't leave anything to chance. That's the first thing. And then you're essentially in the hands of expert medical help, hopefully. Yep, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly that's exactly what I did, right? Yeah. I followed the fast rules, right? Check to see that your face is, it, is your face drooping. That's the F. Is there mm. any arm weakness? That's the A. Do you have trouble speaking? That's the speech difficulty. And then take action and, and call 111. I did all of that because I'd had a scare two years before. So I knew that. Yeah. And that was what happened. I woke up, couldn't walk properly, couldn't see in the mirror that I had my face drooping, couldn't use my arm. Next thing I did is pick up the phone and dial 111. The ambulance was there in 15 minutes. Great. I'll tell you a, a funny story, okay, when I was working for accident compensation. So anyway, my my boss, uh, he was in the bathroom. Uh, I went into the bathroom and I saw him and uh, the side of his face was drooping and he was speaking sort of like, uh, yeah. he was smiling at me, but he, he he was sort of slurring his words and I went into a panic. <laughs> I thought the guy was having a stroke. <laughs> and he, he sort of, he went along with it. He was a bit of a mischievous guy. And yeah. um, it turned out that he had just come back from the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but anyway, I've never forgotten that because I went into panic mode. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, yeah. Bell's palsy has very similar, uh, yeah, uh, superficial appearance, especially around the face drooping. Yes, it, it's so, when, you, when you can lift your arms above your head and everything, then yep. you know it's not belt. You know it's uh, it's not a stroke. Um, but now, um, if the world was perfect, here's what I'd also be doing, right? Hey. As soon as somebody has suffered a stroke, one of the things, as soon as it is practical, is to start flooding the body with antioxidants. Yeah, basically food substances that protect cells from the oxidative stress of toxins that are released during uh, whenever there's tissue damage. Yeah, the cells that survive are stressed by the toxins that are being released from the damage, plus yep. the lack of nutrients and oxygen due to the lack of blood flow. So it's really important in the ideal world, but it's impractical, is to flood the body with antioxidants. So there is actually a really good argument for all of us to have a diet that is rich in antioxidants, whether we have a stroke or not, because it's just so good for us from a... Uh, so uh, what are those? What are those, Gary? You know, in, oh, in so. plain okay. English. <laughs> well, brightly coloured fruit and vegetables. So any plant that has colour that is in the warm spectrum of the visible light. So oh. red, 
orange, yellow, green. Okay, right. and then you move into the blues and there go violets, which are yeah. the um, so the deeper the red. So think of black currant, which is probably just about the most potent of the antioxidants berries. It is so dark red that it looks black. Think of turmeric. Turmeric is the most yellow of the yellow. Yeah. If you think of paprika, it is the reddest of red, it's scarlet red. And in nature, color denotes the degree of health. And it's those warm colors, red, orange, yellow, green. And as you move further over into the blue spectrum, you move into the less healthy or the unhealthy ones. So, okay. so, so in order so it's to a good rule of thumb. Yep. So in order to prevent, you know, to give your body the best chance to to fight off a stroke or to actually give yourself your body the chance to regenerate cells, antioxidants or foods high in antioxidants. Yes. These are things that contain vitamin C. Uh, yes. What other vitamins are we looking at here? As well, well, um, all of the vitamins, but um, we, we must also not overlook the importance of the fat soluble vitamins, vitamins A, right. D, E, and K. And typically, as we get older, as we become weight conscious and heart healthy conscious, and so on, we are encouraged to reduce our fats and oils in our diet. And by default, for example, if you move from uh, silver top milk to yellow top milk or green top milk or blue top milk, you are by default reducing the availability of fat-soluble vitamins. And they are absolutely important, essential for neural health. There's more, like amino acids such as taurine, um, acetyl L... <laughs> Red Bull? <laughs> Not Red Bull. No, 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 Red Bull's no, got Red... taurine in it. Oh, it's got a bit of taurine in it, along with some SHIT. <laughs> Here's the you thing, know? though. Um, the yeah. thing, one thing that I found, too, is yes. that it's a very large percentage, something yeah. like around between 85 and 95% of people who have strokes yeah. have very low potassium. And well, that was the case with me. Yeah. Like, you know, um, potassium, and potassium is really tricky, right, because mm. – there's a happy medium that you that you, your body will accept. It has, I don't know the correct term. You can correct me. Yeah. Is, is it millimoles or something like that? The measurement is between three point five and five point five per liter of blood. And once you go under three point five, then you're at risk of death. And once you go over five point five, you're at risk of death. There's a reason why you can't buy potassium supplements anywhere, right? You have to have them prescribed. So when mm. I was in when I when I went into the hospital, they said, "Oh, we're surprised you're still alive. Why is that? Because your potassium is one point three, right? That's how low it was. And this is one thing that I've always struggled with since my stroke is keeping my potassium levels between three point five and five point five. And you know, people will facetiously say to me, "I'll just eat more bananas." Well, I don't have a banana well. boat. Right? No, I just uh, don't have a banana boat because that's how many bananas yeah. I'd have to eat to keep my potassium in that level. And so I have to take these supplements. Yeah. And so yeah. I find that annoying and I haven't yet cracked that, but neither is an endocrinologist okay. or any other um, specialist. So well, let's, let me ask we you. Look at? Oh, absolutely. Let, let me first of all ask you this, uh, Cam. Has yeah. anybody suggested why your potassium was low in the first place? 
Not a single person. Okay. I've been to every specialist known to man. Okay. Well, I don't think they know. Well, there are possibilities. Yeah. Now, first yeah. of all, everything in the universe is yin yang, black white, hot cold, positive, negative, male, female, liberal, conservative. You cannot have night without day. There's always balance. Yep. There's everything must be in balance and it's opposing forces. So when you look at potassium, potassium has a variety of functions. Now, from a cardiovascular point of view, potassium is the brake. So if you think of yourself as a motor vehicle, wanting to travel at 80 to 100 kilometers an hour down the highway, nice and steady. You have a combination of an accelerator and a brake, and they must be well-serviced and in good condition, right? Yep. You don't yep. want to be going down the motorway without a brake. No. And think of potassium as being the brake for your cardiovascular system. It calms and quietens down uh, your heart, it uh, dilates and opens up blood vessels, it creates tissue, uh, blood vessel flaccidity, okay? Yep. Whereas sodium is the accelerator for your cardiovascular system. Yep. Sodium works with potassium, mm -hmm. and when you're going down the motorway, you want to have a balance between sodium and potassium. So if there is an excess of uh, sodium, relative to potassium, you may end up either going too fast or you do not have any brakes, okay, which means you're a hazard, yep. not only to yourself, but people around you. So think of also that sodium is pro-inflammatory. Potassium has the opposite effect, and you need a balance again between the two. So now there are things in your body which can, again, think of the yin yang, black white, that sort of thing. Yeah. So what acts as a uh, antagonist or a suppressor of potassium? Now it can be, for example, an excess of circulating calcium. Calcium is a direct antagonist to potassium. So if if calcium and circulation is too high, yep. then it may suppress potassium. Okay. The other is if you have an excess of copper, and that can be uh, the consequence, for example, of having had glandular fever at some stage in your life, which alters the way the liver operates. Right. Um, and the regulation of copper. So if copper goes up, potassium will tend to go down. Well, I have had um, glandular fever sometime in the past. Well, so, yes. So you're and, the first person to suggest that. Well, uh, it's one of the most common. You will see. Um, you, you just need just. I I started doing my doctorate on um, the use of hair tissue mineral analysis for detecting the long term consequences or effects of glandular fever, and. Um, I didn't complete it because um, it was going to take me too long. I was going to be an old man, uh, which I didn't <laughs> want to be. And my professor, who it turned out had had glandular fever himself, which is one reason why I was so interested in what I was doing, he said to me, Gary, you already know more than anybody else, so just go and do it. And I said, yeah, I don't need my ego to be stroked. I'll just get on with it. Now, so, so This is really interesting, though, Gary, yeah. because I get phone calls from people mm. all the time that know that I've had a stroke, know that I recovered, know all of this stuff. And they say to me, mm. oh, uncle such and such has had a stroke or my friend's had a stroke. What do you suggest? And I said, the first thing to do is get the potassium checked. 
because every single Hmm. time, right, they've come back and said, wow, it was really low. I said, yep. And what they do in a hospital, and I know this because they did it to me, is they pump potassium into your arm. And I had a bag uh, of this viscous burning fluid pumped into my arm. Yeah, it, it just felt like liquid fire being, you know, it was one of the most painful things that I had to experience. But then they forget about that. Every other test you do from then on, they go, oh, look, your potassium is okay. And then six months down the track or a year down the track, because they haven't fixed the cause of the problem or they don't even know what the cause of the problem is, hmm. then you tip over again because well, your potassium has yeah. gone down, right? And yes. nobody ever see if you keep your potassium between three and a half and five and a half, your your risk of stroke is is significantly reduced. And it's I cannot get this through to people anywhere, you know. And it's hard. They go, I eat bananas. For people like me, it's just never going to get there eating bananas. Well, I, I don't. I don't think bananas are going to cut it anyway. And <laughs> no. um, you may inadvertently be giving yourself a sugar hit. And that's not necessarily that healthy over the long term. And I haven't been able to demonstrate through testing that um, eating bananas significantly uh, alters potassium retention in the body. The other thing, you know, what we need to be looking for always is asking, well, what's the root cause? And, And you keep going down and down and down until you get down to the atoms. It's quite fascinating. So one of the other things to just bear in mind with potassium is potassium and sodium are regulated by the adrenal glands. Right. So when we're looking for patterns of whether somebody is not handling stress well or under too much stress, Mm. is on a head tissue mineral analysis, we will see an elevation of sodium and Ah. hopefully potassium. When sodium goes up, you want potassium to follow because they're like husband and wife or you know, well, I was saying, well, the, the better analogy is accelerator and brake because of the effect they have on the heart and circulation. So when the accelerator, you don't want to have um, the accelerator pushed to the floorboards without the brake being able to counter it so that yes. you don't end up crashing at high speed when you hit the first corner. Maybe um, I need to send you some here. <laughs> yeah, well, we certainly can do that, and mm. it would be fascinating because um, we may pick up the effects of having had glandular fever, possibly even as a child. It was in my um, early 20s. Yeah, it's called the kissing disease, by the way, Cameron. Yeah, I wasn't kissing anybody <laughs> back then. <laughs> well, uh, look, you, uh, you just have to be um, having late nights, uh, drinking too much and uh, people yelling in your ear and that sort of thing to get exposed to this. And look, all of us end up getting the Epstein-Barr virus, uh, which causes glandular fever, but yeah. not yeah. all of us get the full blow-in symptoms of this viral infection. And yeah, uh, so- and it's young people who get run down eating poor diets, not getting adequate sleep, who are at greatest risk. The other group is uh, young boys and girls when they enter puberty. uh, That's when they often get smashed. Now, um, Okay, well, this is really interesting. I'm going to make some notes on this and we'll we'll talk talk offline about it because I I really want to get this solved. But if I can solve it, uh, then I'm pretty oh, sure it's going to help, you know, multitude other people who uh, have experienced strokes and that have got similar yep. potassium issues. 
Well, the the other factor that must be borne in mind, there's a couple here, is um, zinc intake. First of all, there is there wouldn't be a single kiwi that isn't zinc deficient. However, if you were to give somebody large doses of zinc as a supplement, yeah. uh, zinc uh, again is an antagonist of potassium. So this is all about nutrient balancing. You've got to be very careful. That you yeah. don't just sort of say, you know, take, you know, you got to take zinc, you got to take this, you got to take that. So I what's a large dose all, of zinc then? What would you classify a large well, dose of zinc? No, I, the first thing I do, uh, Cameron, is test the person and right. determine their zinc levels and the their levels of things like copper, calcium, uh, magnesium, and so on and so on, manganese, iron, uh, etc., um, um, selenium. You've got to know all of those, and you, you know nothing. Nothing ever works on its own. They all work synergistically and antagonistically, and uh, and that's where the testing is so important. My main role nowadays is testing. I do nutrient yeah. testing, and um, look, the reason why I'm a multiple world champion at seventy years of age is because I test myself, and then I prescribe accordingly. And right. that's the way that I get, I'm not, it's not because I've got some, you know, genetic, you know, attributes or anything like that. I do it because I keep myself healthy and I do it basically through testing them prescribing. Cameron, you wouldn't run a business without a set of accounts, would you? No, uh, you know you, you've got to know what your profit and loss is. You've got to know what your stock is, you know, and what the turnover is. And the other thing is you've got to know what the threats are. And in the case of a human being, it's like, Cameron, have you been eating fish? Like, have you got mercury in your system from eating a, a bit too much tuna or something? Yep. Now, that yep. could be, uh, you know, you've got to know all of this before you can figure out what is the root cause of why did this um, health-conscious bloke wake up Suffering from a stroke. Yeah, you know, I wasn't health a, conscious back then, to be fair. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I am now, well, though. You, well, you can see I'm grinning while I was yeah, saying Of course. That, you know. yeah, you, was, you look was, a whole lot better than me at 70 than I do well, at 55, let me tell you. <laughs> um, well, I've done, uh, basically, I work on an investment of being 20 years ahead of disease. Now, by the way, my mother died a horrible disease from a combination of cancer plus a stroke. Okay, yeah. it was uh, her her children are still traumatized, even though it's many years ago. My father dropped dead on his last run, okay, from right. a massive stroke. But it doesn't worry me at all because what I'm doing is I'm constantly trying to identify the things that are coming at me, and I take um, remedial action so that I stay twenty years ahead. See, that's, and that's what worked. I've. I mean, that's yeah. the the benefit, I guess, for me of the stroke is that I want yeah. to learn these things. I want to yeah. know these things. A to avoid having another stroke. Now, I've just passed the five year threshold, so yeah. this, the risk of stroke is significantly reduced now for me because I've passed yeah. that five year threshold. Yes, yeah, so um, I want to fix the potassium. Yeah. I want to fix these things, but I want to share the information that I gather with other people so they don't have to go through what I went through. Yes. 
because not Absolutely. everyone can, not everyone can do what I did either. That's the other thing. And I'm not blowing my own trumpet here, but I'm a little bit dogmatic and I'm a little bit self-centered. And so uh, I just focused on myself to get better. Now, I'm not 100%, but I'm a whole lot better than plenty of the other people that were in the hospital at the same time as I was. So that's why you know, talking with you, understanding mm -hmm. these nutrients, that will prevent other people getting strokes if we can get this message out there because prevention is a whole lot better than trying to fix what happened after the stroke. Yes. Well, let's do this in stages. One yeah. of the things that you could consider doing is doing some testing and then we could even do a review uh, in a future program. Okay? Yeah. That could so, be quite so fascinating. I'll definitely be looking at that. Yeah. And yeah, what people uh, can look. do, so, so we've covered antioxidants. People need to, yes. to look at getting those antioxidants, and that's how we mm. diverted into potassium. But yeah. um, look at the antioxidants. Yes. Next thing would be to look at making sure that all the other nutrients outside of ant antioxidants are in balance, and yes. and people should be looking at that, and, and they can do that. How can they do that? Is, is it through well, diet or is it through well, supplements or yeah. a combination? Yes, so so there's this uh, the the acute stage of healing, which is more or less the first three weeks or so, where you know really all that person needs to do is to rest, and they should be eating good food. However, the hospital system works against us on that one. Um, first oh, of all, there is a disdain of nutritional supplementation which I think is very well justified, particularly one of the things that happens when somebody suffered a major trauma, such as a stroke, is they suffer a loss of appetite. Okay, So that's why in a hospital, even if you serve cordon bleu meals, uh, the patients will still go for the ice cream and jelly. Yeah. Okay, And that's, that's because um, during the process of healing, there is a massive increase in the need for zinc. And That's zinc interesting, regulates... Because I, I went around the ward stealing the ice cream from the fridges. You're right. I found out where they were where they were well, kept on the floor, and I was stealing the ice cream because they would only give me one at, one at a time, and yes. I wanted more than that. And I didn't yeah. know why it was I wanted more than that, but, but I did. Well, uh, it's, it's rather interesting that um, uh, zinc regulates taste and smell. And zinc is also needed acutely for tissue healing. So um, when zinc, which is already in short supply, is diverted for tissue healing, there is a loss of taste and smell. And in particular, a distortion that creates an abhorrence of basically meat, eggs, um, fried foods, barbecue, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, so that's that's a, another subject that we could touch on is uh, the way that um, nutrients affect behaviour, taste, smell, etc. But you've mentioned yep. several times now deficiencies uh, in nutrients. You've mentioned zinc. You've mentioned yep. selenium. Iodine is also deficient amongst Kiwis, isn't it? Yes. And uh, yes, and and that, that's because basically um, processed foods or foods that are grown industrially uh, tend to be depleted in these trace nutrients and also the foods in our bread for their sugar or calorie content 
more than their uh, trace nutrient content. And that also applies, by the way, to organic foods. They're not necessarily more nutritious, though they should be. Um, It depends on what the plant was fed. You see, you are what you eat, and you need to go right down to what is actually on the soil. And if um, if what is mostly placed on the soil is in nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, and a bit of lime, well, guess what? That's what you're getting. Okay, but what about all the other trace nutrients that we've talked about, like selenium, iodine, zinc, uh, manganese, et cetera, et cetera? There's, there's many. The other thing is, is that it's all about balance. You see, if... Um, uh, one may have an adequate intake of, say, selenium or zinc, but if there is an excess of copper, or on the other hand, if somebody is taking too much vitamin C and they already have low levels of copper, they're going to make things worse. And that will bring on, for example, inflammatory arthritis. So some people who are listening will know that if they take um, supplementary vitamin C, they get aching joints. Um, their knuckles will hurt. Well, that can be an indication of the uh, suppressing effect of vitamin C on zinc. Oh, sorry, on copper. And uh, so you get this complication. So the first thing always is you test, then you prescribe, because um, who says somebody needs a whole lot of vitamin C? Okay. Well, if you, like I was saying, you wouldn't run a business without a set of accounts. So let's do some accounting for a person's body, then decide what's best for them. And that's how you take out the guessing. Now, um, the the problem with the hospital is that the food that is served tends to be absolute crap. Okay? It's terrible. It's got no nutrient value whatsoever. I've written a number of articles about this whole business of... uh, For example, if you think of what makes up a a beautiful, healthy brain, the nutrients, Mm. right? straight away, the simple fact that your brain is about 60% fat and oil. Yeah. If you're eating uh, fat-free ice cream and a bit of jelly, how are you going to build a brain? Where where are you going to make a brain from? You know, you can't do it. So straight away, you're compromising healing. And and so that's where the hospital meals, even where they say it's healthy, you know, if you look at that little bit of the, those peas and a bit of bean and, you know, a bit of mashed potato and there might be a bit of um, steak or something, you know. Um, anything, even that, if you, anything that looks sad like that is is not going to be <laughs> nutritional. Right? Well, yeah, and, you know, okay, a bit of salad and that, but if you actually look at it and you say how many milligrams of um you know, B vitamin, you know, folate and this and that, and how much B12 and how much, yep. how many grams of protein are there? Um, I'll tell you what, uh, if somebody stays in hospital for long enough, they will get malnutrition. Well, they will suffer sick, malnutrition. They? Yeah, <laughs> they, get, they don't they heal. Get sicker. Yeah. Yeah, they, they won't heal. And, and unfortunately, because of the way that allopathic medicine operates, is that there's a drug for every condition. Right, yeah. but what we should be doing first and foremost, and um, look, our farmers and that know better. Okay, is that if 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 you want healthy animals that are disease resistant, that you feed them good food. You know, you yeah. you make sure that that the that the hay is good. You know, fresh and uh, nutrient uh, nutrient dense. If you don't, you get you get poor production. 
Um, and the same applies to human beings. We're no different. So, um, so this is where supplementation can be important. Um, and even like giving somebody a super smoothie, a whey protein smoothie with uh, nutrients. Now, when it comes to like stroke, I'd like listeners to get into Google. Google's the best search engine for this, even if you don't like Google. Yeah. Um, go into Google and type in neuroregeneration yep. and taurine, T-A-U-R-I-N-E, for example, yep. or neuroregeneration and acetyl-L-carnitine yep. or neuroregeneration and N-acetylcysteine. NAC for short. Google will do that search for you. And just have a look. You might need to go down to get past some of the uh, the propaganda, the naysaying, and so yeah, on. Look on the third but page. Look on the third will, page. Yes, it will blow you away. Now, by the way, taurine, how did taurine get its name, Cameron? Come on, you you tell me. From, Come on, from, mate. from bull semen. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I haven't. Well, Taurine means bull, yes. Yep. And um, I don't know how they came up with this, but when they isolated this amino acid, I, I doubt whether they knew the health benefits of it, but what it does, it gives you the strength of a bull. <laughs> yeah. Okay, they even put it in red bull for some reason. That's right. right. Um, but what it does, it strengthens the cardiovascular system. It ha- it plays a role in neuroregeneration. Right, eh? It's all about supplying the basic building blocks so that those amazing artisans that are going to regenerate and rebuild that brain have some good quality materials to work from. Well, that's uh, how I got onto nicotine. That's how, how well, I got, because now, I, I did yes. similar Google searches, you know, neuroplastic, because I was told by the by the neurosurgeon, yeah. oh, well, you know, you've had a stroke because your blood pressure was up and then you had a lack of neuroplasticity, which created brittleness and and basically you've blown a pipe, you know, okay. in, your, in your brain. That's what he told me. So I Googled neuroplasticity. How do you improve neuroplasticity after a stroke? And I found study after study after study, you know, that was all on, you know, government uh, websites in the United States, like the NIH, et cetera, that talked about nicotine and how that, yeah, I said, right, this is me then. I'm into that. <laughs> so, so that's how I yeah, started so, smoking um, cigars. <laughs> so nicotine and caffeine, by the way, have similar neuroprotective effects and may have a role in neuroregeneration. Yeah. However, they're not nutrients. So let's think of a, a pyramid, a, a hierarchical pyramid. Yes. And at the bottom, you have your base nutrients. Uh, yep. Uh, including minerals, uh, vitamins, proteins, uh, essential fatty acids, and so on. And then as you move up, you will add in more strategies. And that could include experimenting with nicotine and caffeine. Small doses. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. It's like adding salt into the the broth, you know, just for taste. You know, you're not not pouring the whole thing in. So um, if you've got a lousy diet, then smoking a cigar, I wouldn't recommend it for a minute. 
Okay. Yeah. I would first and foremost say you've got to clean your diet up and yeah. your lifestyle and so on. So that, that would be and and identifying, for example, if there are toxins like let's take an, another example. Okay. Cameron, you could have bathed in an arsenic laced geothermal hot pool in Tokanu. Yep. Okay. And yeah, got a big have. dose yeah. of arsenic. Okay. Now Arsenic suppresses potassium. Right. Okay. Now, um, just Google um, Gary Moller, the poisoning of New Zealand with arsenic. Just read it. Just read it. And you'll see um, all the evidence there of the effects of bathing in a central North Island natural geothermal hot pool. And I'm not talking about the heat exchanged pools. I'm talking about the ones that have natural water yep. that looks green. Yeah, and I've been in all of those. Is... I've been in the ones in Takano. I've been in the ones in Taupo. And here's the next yep. thing. I spent a reasonable amount of time running around and drinking water from the streams in Wairu. Okay. Um, the Central North Island is um, known as the arsenic belt yep. of New Zealand. And uh, and arsenic directly lowers potassium. So, um, Cameron, uh, you need <laughs> this is this is urgent. Okay, this is yep. for you. You need yep. to get one of those hair tissue tests done because we can pick up historic arsenic poisoning. Right. Okay. Okay. And uh, you'll see examples on my website. Just I'm just excited. Google Gary Moller arsenic. Scary. So the, oh, these well, things can be reversed, though, can't they? Yes. The first thing we have to do is determine what's there. Like if there is arsenic, then the way that we get rid of it is we just apply exactly what I've been saying about how the universe operates. Um, yep. If there's arsenic, then we put in the mineral antagonists, yeah, uh, which then shove the arsenic out of the body. If you've had glandular fever, then your liver will not be as efficient as it could otherwise be at detoxifying these things, um, which may be perhaps the reason why perhaps arsenic might have accumulated in your body more than the person who was sharing the pool with you. Yes. Okay, because we have differences in our ability to eliminate toxins. Um, some of us also tend to absorb things more. Our skin operates a little bit differently. You see, you could have soft, delicate skin, uh, um, you know, as smooth as a baby, and you'll just suck up those um, yeah, that's not uh, me. those toxins. I thought you were always thick-skinned. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. the height of so, a rhino. Um, but anyway, this, this, yeah. is real, this now, is like so fascinating, and yeah. it's the first time, I mean, for me, to hear this, that there is possibility of a solution, yeah. Uh, to because because that's the one thing that I, I I haven't been able to work out yet is how to get this well, potassium issue because it yeah you know I'll be perfectly honest it frightens me that I can't get my potassium under control and to have yeah. to spend a lifetime taking these supplements is incongruous and annoying and. You know, what if I forget? What if my potassium goes down? Because, you know, I've had a stroke. I don't want another one. I don't want to have anything even remotely like that happen again. And not having my potassium solved frightens me. 
because it's the one thing I do. I am frightened. I'm not frightened of dying. Mm. I'm not frightened of a whole lot of things, but I'm frightened of living as a shell, you know, well, and being trapped inside a body and my brain not being able to, to do a whole lot of things. Like, And I love doing outdoor things. I love hunting. I love being in the bush. I love shooting. I love all of these things, right? And if I couldn't do those things and couldn't do what I love doing, which is, you know, stuff like this radio show and writing and being involved in politics, because I'm trapped in a, you know, crippled by, by my body, you know, rebelling against me, that frightens me. That's the one thing I'm frightened of. Well, um, Cameron, uh, you're a tough guy. And let's uh, just change the language a little bit. Um, sure. Uh, frightened's not a good word. Let's use the word concerned. All right. We'll use you're concerned. concerned. You're concerned. It's on your mind, and um, and really, it's the fear of the unknown. If uh, it's the let, let's think of this: um, a stroke is potentially your enemy. Mm. And what a good general does before he does anything is he sends out a spies. You go out yeah, and gather information. Enemy. Yeah. So so why don't we? learn more about what might be going on. And you've already connected a few dots. For example, if you've you just need to bathe once in one of these pools and off off air you might want to tell me exactly which pool it was in because I have actually gone and taken water samples and had them tested myself. Yep. yep. So that I am able to then connect the hair tissue testing with where they bathed and also connected with the signs and symptoms, the health issues. And Cameron, I've got, I've, you'll see in my articles, I've got at least a thousand people who have been made very unwell, chronically unwell from bathing in these pools. It's a yep. scandal. And they don't want to do anything about it because it goes to the heart of our tourism industry and you know these beautiful healthy health giving hot pools yeah <laughs> it's scandalous okay and yeah, i'm yeah. saying this because i've got the evidence right eh? mm. i've got well, the evidence well, you know i mean it's it's not a secret i mean i in my younger days um would go to the takanu pools there um also the ones at um at mm. taupo um, and, the, and as I said, I used to run around the hills in Wairu, um, you know, playing mm. soldier. And I, and I knew about, like, we were always told in the army, and who knows if it was right or not, mm. if you're going to drink water from the streams, make sure it's bubbling, that it's aerating when you get water from, from the streams and that. But, you know, we were running around, uh, and we knew that there was arsenic uh, in the soil. I mean, I looked up the history of how Wairu ended up with all that tussock and everything else was, they tried mm. to farm it and it didn't work. Everything just died, you know. So the only thing that lived was tussock. And that was yes, because uh, of the arsenic in the soils. Yes, uh, yeah, arsenic in there and also a lack of um like cobalt and mm. uh, a few other trace trace minerals as well. And um so the the first thing is uh, is to test. Now, um just getting back to um so what do we do with stroke rehab? The first thing uh, so we've got to try and mitigate the secondary death of tissues. Those yes. those little brain cells that survived, we need to cuddle them and look after them and nurture them. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, they become stressed and died and um and so yeah, you you want to minimize that that occurring and that's why 
you know, the clot busting drugs, uh, the yep. the sucking out of the blood clot to restore circulation and yep. so on, so that you don't get any further um, death. But antioxidants are certainly yep. one of the uh, key factors. But the trouble is, once a person is in hospital, the people around them, like um, you know, family and that, are essentially powerless. And yes. so you've almost got to just sort of accept, well, you know, that uh, during this acute stage of recovery, just provide as much care as you can and just go with the flow. Mm. Now, as, as soon as possible, um, we should be trying to get nutrient-dense food and with all of the building blocks necessary for recovery and repair. Now, there's a few other things that uh, can help. And again, it comes down to when is it practical to start incorporating these things. Yeah. Now, the first thing, and uh, listeners can, again, do their Google search, is look at intermittent fasting and the use of intermittent fasting to do two things. So what you can do is you can type into Google fasting yep. and the words stem cell production. Okay, so what fasting does, when somebody goes into a fasting state, there is the release of adult stem cells. And those little stem cells, um, they somehow find their way to the brain. And instead of becoming a fireman, they get a message which says, you're going to become a little brain cell. And they somehow miraculously become a brain cell. So, you know, this whole idea of neuroplasticity, that um, uh, that the brain tissue can regenerate to a degree. When I studied anatomy, we were told you're... You know, by the time you're seven, you've got all your brain cells and then you're losing so many per minute, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, that's not true. We're constantly rebuilding and restoring, and which is a really important um, uh, principle, which you know very well, Cameron. Now, yeah, the absolutely. other part, yeah, the other part to it is the, the stimulation of stem cells. And then the other is, uh, is to type in, Fasting and yep. growth hormone, okay? Right. Fasting stimulates the production of growth hormone. Growth hormone and stem cells combined are what drive healing, okay? Tissue regeneration which, which, and so which we, on. We kind of know this too because, you know, yeah. you look at the uh, super athletes that have been caught doping, you know, and they've all been <laughs> injecting human growth hormone. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. that's how they get their bigger muscles because they're healing the tears from from all of those sorts of things. I mean, it sounds um yeah. you know uh, wrong, but that's what they were doing. They were healing the tears that were occurring from their extraneous exercise, uh, and they were healing that with you know drugs instead of the way that you're suggesting that we heal it with with yeah. doing things so, that our body <laughs> recognizes like fasting. Like sorting out our nutrients, sorting out our vitamins, sorting out our, our, our diet, and all those things. So mm. you don't need to cheat and take a shortcut. You can do all these things, like you said, it's a pyramid. Get all these things right at the base that provides a good solid base to build this high pyramid that we're going to build. And then each layer of the pyramid is less and less required of the of the things that will make a big difference. But they wouldn't make a difference if you didn't have that base correct. And it is rather interesting that when a person is seriously ill or injured, they have a loss of appetite. It's almost mm. like the body says, it's time for healing. 
Yeah. And so during that first stage, there was a complete loss of appetite. And that, I think, is combines with um, the stimulation of uh, the release of stem cells yeah. and growth hormone. But it doesn't and, have to be it doesn't have to be bodily injury either. It could be something hmm. traumatic, like a, a divorce or a separation or something like that. People lose their appetite, you know, when things well, like that happen, that trauma of that thing, the body says, no, you, don't, you don't need this. Yes. You need to focus on this. Um just uh, and just on that, these things are complicated. Uh we yeah. you know, we don't we don't become experts in stroke. Um, prevention and no, recovery no. overnight. It's it's complicated. So we're covering a lot of territory here. Now, one of the common factors that you see with anybody who's suffered any kind of head trauma, whether it be a stroke or um, you know a whack to the head of some sort, is we see the lingering effects of adrenal fatigue. Yeah. So on a on a head tissue test, what we will see is a depression of the functioning of the adrenal glands. Right. Now, um, so uh, look, when when somebody suffers any kind of head trauma, it's like a major assault on the body, okay? Mm. And the brain, the, the reptilian part of the brain says, we're under attack, we're under attack, okay? It's an incredibly yeah. terrible stress. Now, whether it's a divorce or whether it's... Um, you know, um, crises at work, or you know, um, scaring a, a court, the hell a out of us. Case. Could be a court oh yeah, case. yeah. Could all, be anything all sorts. that's stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what happens is that it activates the fight or flight um, mm. response, and if that goes on day after day, there uh, the the person reaches a point where the adrenal glands basically shut up shop. Okay. Well, so you know and, what you're talking about. Um, Gary yep. is exactly my situation. A three court yep. cases, yeah. The incredible stress of all of those, uh, uh, you know, yep. the the impact of becoming public enemy number one with Nikki Hager's book, Dirty Politics. <laughs> all of those things, all piled on top of each other for years, and you and, know, and doing what I do nearly killed me. And well, uh, and now there, I'm finding a, out that it's all of these things. Yes, so you could say, yeah, okay, there was a stress of that, but now I'm I'm starting to understand the pathology of it, of how that well, works. Well, look, the the perfect solution to all of your stresses and woes is to go and uh, relax in a hot pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah and, and it just adds you know, some arsenic onto that. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. Well. Yeah, you got to remember that arsenic used to be the poison of choice by disaffected wives, you know, for knocking off the old bastard. Yeah, yeah. but the trouble is we can now test for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, as, look, as look, an I'm aside. Learning so, I'm learning so much from this conversation. Yeah. And as hopefully an aside, others will um, be as well. Yeah, Farlap was uh, poisoned with arsenic. Ah. I've actually got the test results here. Right. Yeah. Who yeah. did uh, it? Radians? Well, we don't know who did it, but um, we know that it was done. Um, because here's the thing: hair keeps growing after death. So, in Farlap's case, um, the arsenic levels were measured, and then in the last hours of growth, there's this massive spike of uh, arsenic. Yeah. Right. And by the way, the same was done to Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just three, yeah, just lacing his food with arsenic, 
and uh, you can see it in the lock of hair that um, was tested. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. But anyway, back to uh, stroke. What we can see is that the other thing, Cameron, is how much can be learned by having a conversation. And one of the problems medically is that the consultations or the timer is now less than 10 minutes, okay? It's a rushed visit, whereas what's needed is a conversation where little clues, blues clues are are often, which then allow one to start connecting dots. And then doing the appropriate testing helps to confirm and then provide direction. Okay, so you can see some dots are being connected here. Now, there's a lot of things that can be done nutritionally and bearing in mind um, the loss of appetite. But while somebody is lying, um, say, on uh, unconscious, sedated, it doesn't really matter, though. It would be lovely to be able to get some antioxidants into them, right? But when they are ready to start eating, the food needs to be nutrient-dense. And that just simply does not happen in a hospital environment at all. Zero. Okay? Yeah. And so that's where um, the family bringing in the food. Now, for example, a super smoothie. One of the best, the first meals used to be chicken soup. Yeah. Right? Homemade chicken soup. That's a good one. But also um, a whey protein smoothie with all of your essential fatty acids, um, fat-soluble vitamins, and other things to fortify it. There's a recipe on my website. Just Google Gary Moller Super Smoothie, and you'll see the sort of thing that can be Have done. Have you made it taste nice? Because like when I hear smoothie, Gary, ah. I hear hippie food, you know, spirulina. I, look, it looks sad. <laughs> it probably tastes sad. I want it to taste like vanilla ice cream. Does well, your super smoothie taste of vanilla ice cream? Uh, it can, <laughs> it can, but uh, God, uh, it's just me. You know, you know, harden but... up, mate. Harden up. <laughs> Come on. Um, um, look, I'm, I'm just going to read. This is what at four months I, I, of age. This is my Plunkett book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when I was four years, uh, four months of age, this is what the Plunkett nurse prescribed my mother because I was failing to thrive as a baby. Yeah. Brains, grated kidney, liver, um, flaked fish, tripe with Ms. Chicken. Okay. Right. Now, yeah. you know, that's so that's what my mother was feeding me at four months of age. Right. Um now, and you're complaining about whether or not it's vanilla. Come on. <laughs> Harden up, mate. You know, the yeah. thing is. What we should be focusing on is the nutritional value of the food rather than the taste. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yes, we can make it delicious for you, Cameron. Yeah, we right. will We will make that concession. But yeah, um... I think that what we need to do, um, Gary, here is, yeah. is let's use me as an example or a yeah. test in a very public way right, on this radio sh- station, on the show. Okay. And see if we can fix all of all of these things. Um, I'm just looking at your super smooth recipe here, um, half a scoop of your ultra protein plus some additional whey protein, black currant. I like black currant, so, yeah, we're, yeah. On, we're on a winner there. I, look, I think I could eat. I think I could eat your super smoothie every morning. Yes. I think Instead you have the old of, recipe there, by the way. 
but that's I'm just okay. On, just on your website here. Yeah. And um, yeah. But in, but anyway, every morning yes. I have now, you know, stupid things like a few supplements and some barocas and stuff like that. Yeah. You're saying if I do this instead, I'm going to get a much better result. Well, first of all, Cam, uh, test. Okay. Yeah. Because um, do you need that barocca or don't you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's the first thing. It's a, it's about balancing and and another principle in nutrition. Uh, is the Goldilocks zone. Not too much, not too little, just right. And and that's where the testing becomes important. You know, uh, there was that question. We all need vitamin C, but how much? We all need zinc, but how much? Yep. And it's about getting it. Uh, and and so if you've got a whole lot of um, copper, for example, in your body, then you need a whole lot more vitamin C and a whole lot more zinc. Yeah. Okay? Yep. But if you've got low copper, um, you don't want to. You you need to bring the copper up before you start pumping else. a whole lot of this other stuff in. Otherwise, you make matters worse. You don't get better. Right. Um, right. So this uh, is going to be fascinating. I'm going to. Oh, I think I'm going to enjoy this. I'm just looking at these well, photos. They look delicious. I've got to say, they do. Look well, they they just stock photos. So. <laughs> You're not supposed yeah, to but, say that. You're not supposed to yeah, say no. yes. That's exactly what the the green one with the cucumber. Yeah, yeah that, that's well, not me. Now, that's not me. Uh, again, Cam. Um, look, the color is really important. Always just keep reminding yourself those warm primary colors are what Mother Nature uses to tell you that it's good for you. Okay. Mother, just yeah. a little sidetrack on it, just briefly. Mm. There's some things that I just cannot stand the taste of, and people might say I'm fussy or whatever, but there's a couple of things that I just can't stand. And is that my body saying, you don't need this? Uh, possibly, yes. So there's yes, things that. like, um, I, look, I really don't like tomatoes, the taste of them, and cucumbers the same. I really like mm. As soon as I taste them, it's like, oh. And the other one that is just mm. awful is used in Thai cooking a lot. Um, oh, it's gone completely out of my head now. Um, but, yeah, I can't stand that either. Um, well, yeah, so there there, there may be um, uh, childhood traumas there, but um, I'm just pulling your leg, Cam. Um, but, um, the, coriander. It's, it's, coriander. It's interesting. I cannot stand eating coriander. It's, it now, tastes, one of the, tastes like tin. Yes. Well, one of the highest levels of potassium I've seen on a hair tissue test was um, in a gardener who ate loads and loads of tomatoes. Um, Tomatoes, as you probably know, along with cucumbers, are excellent sources of dietary potassium. Right. So that's rather fascinating. Mm. Um, Again, I want to do the testing. Now, it's possible that you may have low levels of potassium in your blood, yeah, in your circulation, but you may have high tissue cas- uh, potassium. We need to test you and find out. So that this will be an interesting exercise indeed. And then we can do okay. then we can do round three of how to deal with strokes. And yeah. Now, now, the next thing that needs to be done in stroke, and I, I this used to be my job, okay? Every yeah. morning I'd do the ward rounds. Yep. And my job was to lift the limbs and do movement patterning. Yep. Okay? Now, yep. Uh, um, basically, movement patterning is replicating the basic movements of human movement. 
I know exactly and, uh, what that is. Yes, and the, the so the the first thing, if you think of when somebody suffered any kind of brain injury, yeah, they lose the ability to walk properly. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, we need to go back to the very beginning stages of um, uh, of uh, movement development in a baby. So, what is the first thing that a baby does? You put them on their tummy, yeah, and you get them to lift their head. Okay. Yeah. And when, of course, they lift their head up, the parents are all excited. And that's what we need to do with somebody who's suffered any kind of um, brain injury, is yep. you start by putting them on their tummy and getting them to just simply use those extension muscles of the spine. That's exactly the what my physiotherapist stage, said to me at the time. You've, yep. you've, your brain's forgotten how to do this, so we, we're, you're back. Yeah, to you've got to rewire it. Yeah, back to being a baby, yep. um, but we can yes. we can shortcut that, and we do this with repetition, and we do these things. So yeah, I mean, yes. So I'll go through those stages, yep. so that listeners can, because they're just not doing it in the hospital anymore, at least not to the right degree. And yep. like you said, it's got to be done a thousand times, and then a thousand times more. It's got to be just repetition, repetition, repetition. Okay. Let me tell you, they're um, not doing it at all in the hospital. I know. Uh, I, I'm. I'm That's my deeply experience. disappointed. I'm. I'm. I'm very disappointed. Okay, because sure, the majority of people they have their full recovery, but what about that ten or fifteen percent who really need this therapy? Otherwise, they end up with permanent, unnecessary disabilities. Completely unnecessary now, disability. So the first thing is just simply being on the belly and doing a kind of press up, keeping the hips on the ground and trying to push up. It's sort of like a, it's a yoga, you know, um, exercise. And then the next thing is practicing rolling from your tummy onto your left, uh, over on the left hand side onto your back. And then onto your right side, left, right, yep. left, right, rolling. Yep. That needs to be done repetitively, um, practicing yep. uh, doing that. Then the next thing from the lifting of uh, up of the head and pushing up with the hands is getting up onto one's um, knees and hands and then walking on your hands and knees on a nice soft carpet or something. We, we used to do it on a raised mat. A yep. big, a huge gymna gymnastics in that mat. Yep. Okay. And then practicing. So before you can walk, you've got to be able to crawl. Um, yes. Any parent knows this. You do not allow a baby to miss out on crawling. Okay. They've got to crawl. Otherwise, they will be a clumsy walker. Yep. And then you finally gravitate to walking. And the walking, needs to be left to right. Now, you will see this with anybody who's had any kind of serious illness or injury. When they first get out of bed, they, they walk sort of like with their hands by their side. Or you will see this in elderly people. They put their hands behind their backs. Yeah. Okay, and carry their handbag um, on their now, bum. Now, that okay? was one of the things that they taught me uh, with one of my physiotherapists. As they said, you need to learn how to walk properly. And in New Zealand, yes. in, in modern society with shoes and all of these different things, people have not learned how to walk properly. And it, it was quite an interesting experience. And they said the easiest way to do this is to do what's called Nordic walking. 
where you've mm. got you know you've got these poles right now you'll see some usually elderly people doing nordic walking and they've got the poles out in front of them and that's mm. not how you do it you have the poles behind you which is seems counterintuitive but it teaches you how to walk properly where you basically sit back down into your pelvis you swing your shoulders and your hips as you walk and swing your arms and that's how we're designed to walk and once you mm. learn how to do that properly uh then it, it it dramatically improves the distance that you can walk because you're not being fatigued by the action of walking anymore because you're actually doing it in tune with your body and mm. uh you know I've, I've that's what i tell people who've had strokes or similar injuries with their legs and it said take up nordic walking learn how to do it properly and it will dramatically in, increase your ability to walk better than you've ever done before and that's the one thing that that i did nordic walking made a huge difference huge yes difference. so uh, i've got a photograph of my my mother um well, one of the first things i gave her after it was apparent that she had suffered a mild stroke a first stroke is I gave her some Nordic walking poles. Yeah. And uh, the the Nordic walking poles, uh, one of the things that happens with stroke is the person, unless they're concentrating, they forget like yeah. what that, um, that hemiplegic yeah. side of their limb is doing. They just forget it and then it will drag and the, yes. the hand will drop down by the side. Yep. Whereas when, you, when they've got the poles... Yeah. yeah, when they've got the poles, they are more likely to remember um, yes. uh, because there's there's that visual and tactile um, feedback that's that they're receiving. So Nordic Nordic walking, but uh, you've you've touched on something. Find a Nordic walking coach uh, yes. to teach you the right technique. Now, another thing about walking, uh, Kim, uh, I so you spend a bit of time in the army. Yeah. Okay. Well, I spent time in the army as well. And one of the things that we learned was how to march. Yeah. And, um, and, and this, uh, and marching is just so important. And, and, and using the audible hup, one, two, three, four, left, right, left, right. Yeah. Um, um, and so on. Um, uh, you can uh, get some headphones and put on um, like Dr. Hawk, uh, yep. Dr. Hook, you know, with his yep. um, blue jean song and all that sort of stuff, yep. you know, and, yeah, and, no, no, and that's exactly right. That's exactly those, what I did. You yeah. know, I was using the Nordic walking and I was, and, yep. you know, right at the start when it was really difficult and my right foot was dragging and, you know, as mm. I got tighter and tighter, and and that's when I I actually used the you know the marching uh, regimes. It was left, right, left, right, left, right, because yes. your body doesn't know how to swing properly, and and eventually, yes. it's this repetition again, right? This is the thing with stroke yes. recovery. It's it's repetition, hundreds, thousands of times, doing things yes. over and over and over again. I was lucky, right? I, I I do pistol shooting, I do shotgun shooting. Uh, you get good at those things through thousands and thousands and thousands of repetitions, and and so for me it was natural hmm. to do that, right? Um, okay, so so Cam. <laughs> okay, so um, one of the things that, that I ask people when I'm doing a consultation 
yeah. is have you ever owned a firearm? Yeah. Okay. No, I've never owned just one. <laughs> okay. Righto. Okay. So you've uh, the the worst can be shotguns, by the way. But right. What's associated with that? Right. Well, there's well, primers and there's lead. primers and the and yeah, lead and all sorts of stuff. That sweet uh, smell is the lead vapor, as yeah. the uh, the shot or the uh, the bullet is vaporizing metal as it goes out uh, down the barrel. Yep. And the other is, um, have you ever cleaned a gun? Yeah, well, you know, right? the thing is, with there's there used to be lead projectiles, okay. and then they had copper jacketed lead projectiles. So there's lots of copper involved, and when you're cleaning a rifle, yep. you've You've got to get the copper out. You've got to get the lead out, and okay. you know, you've got to be really careful on all well, of that. Remember sort of what stuff. I said about copper. Oh yeah. Okay. Copper being an antagonist. Okay. So there is. Um, look, I, I've even had guys with lead poisoning from uh, doing party tricks of uh, blowing uh, smoke rings um, out of the barrel from the barrel of a shotgun. Okay. Yeah. yeah now yeah. the thing is, is that we can now see potentially multiple sources of contaminants, of uh, of toxins that because of could my lead lifestyle. to these health issues. Because of my lifestyle, because of my hobbies. <laughs> and, and, maybe, and maybe too much ice cream, okay? <laughs> <laughs> now, so um, rhythm, teaching people how to walk, but they've got to crawl, they've got to practice lifting their head, and, and even after that, Cam, you should still be getting on the ground and rolling. I do. You should this be on thing, your right? hands and knees. Okay. Pilates has uh, saved me. He's, he's a guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a Pilates hunting, is shooting, hunting, shooting, tough guy, right? That's me, right? And I'm I've always Pilates. ridiculed yoga and Pilates and everything. But you know what? Since I took up Pilates, since I took up yoga, I've shot the best I've ever shot. I've improved my body out of sight by doing these things. And I really yeah. highly recommend Pilates and yoga and those sort of Pilates more than yoga because it's so repetitive. Um, Pilates yeah. doing things over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and that's it's, what has healed me, you know, doing those yeah. sorts of So your basics of rolling, crawling, walking. Yeah. And, and you definitely have to be able to walk beautifully, smoothly before you ever think of trying to run. Yeah. Okay. Things have to be in order. Now, the, the beauty about Pilates. When you think about it, most movements, most human movements are not linear. They are diagonal. So when you punch, when you throw, when you walk, it's actually a diagonal movement across the, the plane of the body. Yeah, there's lots of triangles and, involved. Same with yes. shooting, you know, shooting, yeah. um, swinging, and it's all yeah. angles and everything like that. No, nothing's ever straight in the human yes, body. Yes, that's right. And, and that's why um, getting on a gym machine, which does linear movements yep. and which does not involve balance, are not really as beneficial as doing like freestanding exercise with pulleys, for example, or yep. using your own body as providing yep. the resistance. And that's why Pilates is so important yep. because it Pilates your own great. body, you're using pulleys. You're creating these angles and these things that occur naturally. Now, there's one other thing that is really important in stroke rehabilitation, and uh, this is countering the spasticity 
in the arm and the leg. It's usually one side that's uh, yeah. It's that's been affected. that's been the hardest thing, you know, now, for me is covering that up. You know, this is when now, you do exercise, and all of a sudden you get these shakes and these jitters because yeah. you can't control your muscles. So one of the things that I uh, I mentioned, I did my morning rounds of the wards, yeah, and my job was to mobilise uh, those paralysed or spastic limbs. Now, this is where I think the hospital today is letting down patients terribly. There is a great risk during the first month or so following a stroke of developing frozen shoulder. Tell me about Um, it. Guess what I've had. Yep. What should be, what, and this is what what I learned um, in Sweden, is the use of various um, physical therapies for helping to counter the contractures that develop in the spastic limbs. Mm. And this needs to start within a week of the injury. For example, the arm that is spastic needs to be repeatedly extended. Yep. And... That includes being extended overhead. Okay, yeah, it's all Otherwise, sorts of things overhead and then out to yes. the side. Um, even like bending your wrist back, you know, like that. That's all the sort of things that I've gone through. Yes, done all so, that to um, stretch those ligaments and stretch those muscles out. So, Cam, uh, was your right side affected? Yeah. Well, you've got an incredible. Um, Mobility there, just um, looking. Uh, listeners can't see it, but you've got almost complete dexterity, and you can get your arm above your head. Okay, oh. yes. Now, not being able to lift one's arm or get one's arm painlessly above one's head can be a terrible disability. Just the the effort of putting clothes on. Yep. Uh, if you can't get your arm above your head. It's a disability. It's a terrible disability. Totally. The other thing is, is that if one falls and if there are contractures, there is a risk of suffering extremely painful injuries Yep. Uh, by landing on that limb. You can't so, break your um, fall. There's, there's a whole lot of things. Like, in, in, well, Here's the other thing I found out you know, when I went up hmm. to, I went and visited a friend of mine uh, who does traditional you know, Raratongan deep mm. muscle massage and that. When I visited him after yeah, three months, I went up there. But I went in the water in Raratonga and I was trying to swim. Well, you can't swim. Like You literally can't swim. You can't. <laughs> if you've got one arm that doesn't work, you can't even tread water. And I found this um, out and I thought, and, the, yeah. the, 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 and I was in the ocean and I thought, I better get out of here because, the, you know, the, I, I couldn't control anything. And in the end, I just had to stay in the pool to do it because there was a real risk that I'd actually drown because I couldn't save myself. And my mates all teased me and called me a circle swimmer, you know, because because I couldn't. But you can't actually do any sort of swimming because you you need that balance and it doesn't exist there. But, you know, after a week with him beating the hell out of me, um, I, you know, I went up there, I couldn't lift my arm above my head. And after a week of him, beating the hell out of me, I could lift my arm above my head. And that just changed everything once I could do that. So you've actually touched on another part of the therapy, and that is deep tissue massage. Because uh, uh, a a lot of the painful contractures, um, the headaches, um, the neck pain, 
um, the shoulder pain, uh, hip pain, and so on, can be alleviated by doing deep tissue massage. And anybody who's suffered any kind of um, uh, injury resulting in spasticity or or, or weakness of um, of muscles, they would benefit from a once a week deep tissue massage. Now, it's a matter of finding the right person. Now, you mentioned um, uh, Cook Island Massage Therapist. Well, it just so happens the other side of my family, my children are uh, are Cook Islanders, and I learned massage therapy myself from uh, traditional island methods. Yeah, and there's myofascial release as well. All of that sort of stuff comes Yeah, so there's those sorts of um, therapies. Um, uh, Even finding a good Thai massage therapist can be one of the best. They they can be excellent in relieving muscle spasm. And um, just once a week is all that's required, but once a week ongoing. And as you will gather, these things do cost money because you've got to pay them, you know, to do these classes and that. But um, Cameron, it is absolutely worth the investment because there is... There is that that law of diminishing returns. Um, You can't do much in those first two or three weeks, but then that's when the therapy really needs to start ramping up, um, bearing in mind um, that, um, you know, with a head injury comes poor concentration, very poor stamina. But look, anybody who's been in bed for a week, they're going to be tired and exhausted anyway, and then put put a head injury on top of it. And yeah, it is hard going, but that's where... Surrounding yourself with motivated family, um, good quality therapists, and that yeah. um, really no come in. What I found, you know, early on, like when the second day, and I was in hospital, there was no use having a pity party. It is what it is, and now we've got to set about uh, setting some goals. Now, you know, when yep. I first had the stroke, I thought, oh, oh, this will take me six months to fix. Well, here I am, five years later, I'm still improving. I'm still getting stronger. I mean, there was a time I couldn't even hold a one kilo weight in my right hand. My fingers would just straighten out and it would drop down onto the floor, right? So Mm -hmm. to go from being really strong and doing a whole lot of things to not even being able to hold a one kilo weight, which is nothing. It's two two things of butter in my right hand. I couldn't even hold it to now being doing the things I can do now. It's just about you have to have a perseverance and a willpower to do it for yourself. And then you mm. add all these other things in that we've talked about. Yep. And slowly but surely, you will regain the use of... Well, of Cameron, have you looked into hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Well, actually, a friend of mine has just um, installed one uh, in Auckland, and he wants me to, to, to go along and do that. So that all, I guess, will be another episode of this uh, how we're going to deal with strokes. So we've covered so much today, but only a little bit. You know, there's so much that can be done, and it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, well, to do it. Let, let me just uh, say, and for listeners, um, what they can do is type into YouTube HBOT and stroke recovery and look at some of the videos. I think every hospital in New Zealand should have a hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber. Yeah. And ACC should be funding HBOT. There's enough evidence now to show that it is effective. But 
its greatest effect is in the acute stage. Like we should take uh, within hours of somebody having a stroke, one of the things we should be doing is super saturating their bodies with oxygen yeah. under pressure. Okay. Yeah, totally. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because your brain has had an injury. It's been deprived of oxygen yeah. in a particular area. Let's get it. It's kind of like life, you know, doing life support when for somebody mm. when they have a heart attack or whatever, get their heart yeah. pumping. The reason why we get their heart pumping is to get oxygen in. The reason why we do the emergency breathing for them is to get oxygen into the blood. By putting them in a hyperbaric chamber, it's super saturating their blood with oxygen. If that's yes. all you're breathing and it's getting into those injured areas and helping those injured and anemic. Uh, little blood cells that are, are sitting there struggling, or the brain cells that are sitting there struggling, all of a sudden they get some blood with huge amounts of oxygen. They're going to grow faster and fix themselves a whole lot better, right? Well, and um, and in that acute stage, by bypassing the loss of circulation, when the pressure and the concentration is high enough, it actually completely bypasses the lack of blood flow, which therefore reduces the damage being done to those brain cells. You see, the um, it's the damage that occurs in the, the minutes and then hours and even mm. days after the initial injury yeah. um, that um, we want to prevent with things like antioxidants, um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and, um, and, and of course, um, the clot-busting drugs and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So Gary, there, there is a law have... of, of diminishing returns. So you get this um, rapid resolution over the first three weeks or so. And then even five years later, Cameron, there's still maybe 1%. And, and it's that little percent that can make a massive difference to one's quality of life. The other point to, to make, and I know we've got to wrap this up in a minute, mm. is that it's never ending. Even after five years, it's sort of like yep, when somebody's had, yeah, it's it's never ending. You you just um, keep plugging away, plugging away, plugging away at not only maximizing the recovery, but those things that maximize recovery also maximize the um, protection against suffering another episode. Now, I just want to add just one other thing, sure. Cam. Lemon peel, citrus peel. Yeah. Okay. Look it up on Google. Type into Google um, citrus peel and cardiovascular disease, citrus peel stroke. Put in citrus peel and cancer, and you will see. Now, here's the thing. Okay. Cameron, if it's good enough to use a citrus detergent to degrease the chain on your bicycle or the engine block of your car, then citrus peel is probably good for clearing your arteries. Yeah. Okay? So think of uh, citrus peel as being Mr. Muscle Drano for your arteries. To keep nice, clean arteries, um, a beautiful blood flow to your brain, look at the role of citrus peel. Not citrus juice, but citrus peel. Yeah. Okay? It's amazing. Just look it up and and you will see. Um, And you can Google Gary Moller, healthy citrus peel recipe, okay? And you can uh, look it up for yourself. But we could actually do a whole session on citrus peel and the various health benefits associated with it. Well, you know, Gary, 
we've covered so much today and we've only touched on the immediate aftermath of a stroke in mm. recovery. I've learned a whole lot more that I wish I'd known five years ago, but that's all right because, as you say, you can keep on doing these things and get incremental changes. And that's mm. what I've experienced and that's what I'd say to people who are listening is just because you think you've stopped improving doesn't mean you haven't stopped improving. Mm. Right? You just got to go and do it again or do more or change it up or do something else. And you will see those improvements. And, you know, I, I've mm. I've spent five years getting to the point where I am now and I feel that I'm really have a responsibility to share what I've learned with other people so that they don't have to go through what I've gone through. Right. And that's why, you know, I think we will continue this series. We'll have a, another couple of these where we can extend on from that. And, you know, I'm really interested in, in finding a little bit more uh, using some of your tests and things like that. So we'll take, we'll take that bit offline and then uh, we'll touch base again with the listeners and let them know what the results of those tests were. And then we'll, of course, be able to look at all of the uh, suggested therapies and treatments that you direct me towards, because I'm up for anything if it comes to improving my life. Uh, you know, it's already a whole lot better because of all the physical things that I've done. Now I need to fix the internal things. And, you know, I think we'll be able to, to do a whole lot of that. So you know, I really appreciate your time today. And uh, I, as I said, I've learned so much and hopefully the listeners will have too. Well, it's a pleasure. There was only so much time available and this discussion is going to have to be continued in much more detail. I'm going to go and get those tests done and then Gary and I will look at next steps. So stay tuned for the next installment. I can't wait. And this is exciting to see if I can find out the last piece of that post-stroke puzzle that has been vexing me for so long. Tell me your thoughts on what Gary had to say by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR. 